0: I do hope and pray you had a, a good Thanksgiving I know during Thanksgiving we're supposed to think of all the things that we're thankful for I hope you had a chance to do that I really want you to reflect on how good God is to us how good he is to you and us even as a as a church family as well I think we take this for granted and I, I meet a lot of people who who struggle with thankfulness and they struggle with how good God really is to us and I I hope that you'll have time to reflect maybe at what you are a part of uh, this weekend uh, and how, how God has, has blessed you in ways that maybe you take it for granted. You know, I was, I was thinking about that uh, in the back as I was waiting for service to get started and thinking how like on Friday, Amanda and I had family over. We had 30 people in our house, tons of kids running around, and it's stressful as all get out to me. When they leave, it's like, yes. <laughs> but in saying that, to think about how good God has been to us and our family, to have that, the Bible tells us that children are a, a blessing. And there are a lot of people who would love to have children and, and can't. And God, it just seems, has overflowed our family of, of love, of everybody seems to get along, we, we seem to have fun together. And sometimes we can get so caught up though on the stresses of a day like that that we miss the goodness of a day like that. And how, how God is the provider of all good things. He's the one who continually pours these blessings out. And I, I know some people are just, their disposition is to think of the, the bad, uh, to think of the negative. There's somebody in my life that I, I think is kinda like that. And I, I've had to talk with them and I remember saying, I said to them recently, When you feel this way, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, but when you pray, I don't want you to pray that God would help you. I don't want you to pray that God would get you through this moment. What I want you to do is I want you to list everything you are thankful for that God has given you. So when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're feeling all this way, I want you to go and just pray of everything that you are thankful for and then think, can I really live my life this angry? Can I really live my life this frustrated? This full of anxiety when I can sit here and begin to just list again and again and again all the great blessings of God. I do bring that up for a purpose this morning because we're finishing, well I'm finishing my part of the series on worship. We've been looking at worship all of fall. And asking, what is worship? Who do we worship? What are we supposed to do in worship personally, in our private life, but also in this public gathering, which is what we've been focusing on lately? And as we do that, I want us to remember why it is we gather in here this morning. First of all, God commands it of his people. And so we need to do that. But also, we come here because our God alone is worthy to be worshipped. That's not just something we should glance over. He alone is worthy to be worshiped and praised. We give our worship and we give our praise to so many other things when they really don't deserve it. God is the one who deserves us to be singing to him. God is the one who deserves us to be loving each other because of what he's done, not only in my life, but in your life as well. Right? And so we've been focusing on the past few weeks of how God speaks to us in our services here, through baptism, Lord's Supper, reading of the Word, and preaching. We spent time on those, that this is how God speaks to us in worship. But we know that we also respond to God in worship, and last week, Pastor Spencer's sermon focused on the first two of those, which was through prayer, but also through singing. And how those are important elements in our worship that we need to be doing to honor God, because God declares in His Word, this is how you should worship me. And let me take a a sidestep from that to remind us again in this series, one of the reasons we're looking at it is we want to know what God tells us to do in worship. And so the example I would give, and this falls short, but I'll tell you how it falls short. If I'm having a birthday and I tell my wife, this is how I want to spend my birthday. Listen to me. This is what I want to do to have my most enjoyable day, right? What should she do? what I said, right? She should do what I've asked of her, because this is what I would like to do. Now, here's where the analogy falls short. She might think of something way better, just to be honest. She might go outside of that, and all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, that actually, that actually was great. I, I had a great day. You didn't do exactly what I said, but you, you did some of it, but then you added these other things. That was just fantastic, Now, when it comes to us worshiping God, we have to make sure that we are doing exactly what he tells us to do. Nothing short of it, but also nothing over it. Because we cannot look at God and say, God, I think I have something better for you this morning than what you're telling me to do. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. And so we have to be faithful to do what God has called us to do in our worship. And so today, our last thing in our response we'll be focusing on is giving. How God calls us to to give. Now again, remember our whole motivation in our worship is we worship God for who He is, for what He has done in our life. We don't come here just to hang out together. We don't come here to just maybe hear some good stuff or or to prove to God that we're good people. We're here to worship God, and we want to do it how He has prescribed for us to do it. And so as we approach this topic this morning, because I know that this can be a difficult topic uh, for many, but I want to remind us some things that the Bible is very clear on. And so you can turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapters 8 and 9 this morning. It's going to be our, our main focus. But I want to read some other verses for you just real quick. And you don't need to turn there. They'll be, they'll be on the screen. To just remind us of these, there's three really quick points I want to share that the Bible's clear on with this. Number one is this. God does not need your money. Okay? So if you're here thinking, okay, another sermon on on giving, first I would say I've been the pastor here now for over three years, first message on giving. I haven't done one yet. So this is my first one. I don't plan on doing a bunch more if I'm being quite frank about it. And so you haven't heard a ton of messages on it, but I am positive that the Bible teaches this, God does not need your money. Psalm 50, verse 7 through 12, it says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So first and foremost, let's have that in our head. God does not need Our money. Second is this. God does call you, though, still to give. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So God calls us to give. Then thirdly, the church needs to handle money well. That is important, and that's in the passages that we're going to be focusing on this morning. But in 2 Corinthians 8, if you have it turned there, you can look in verses 20 through 21. Paul talking about giving, he says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And so it is important that as money is given to a church, to a local church, that they do their best to handle it well, to handle it wisely, not just in the sight of God, it says, but also in the sight of, of men so that they can see and know that we are taking this serious and we want to honor the Lord even in our giving and in our funds and how we use the money that we do have. And so I want to focus mostly, like I said, on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we're gonna read it in sections. Uh, Because Paul is talking here to a church about giving specifically, and so I think it's fitting for us this morning. So first, let's look at the first seven verses of chapter eight. It says, "We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify." In this act of grace, also. So I want to stop here because first we need a little bit of background on Corinthians and what's going on here. This is a church that Paul started. Paul started this church. It was doing pretty well. Paul left to go start other churches, and people creeped into the church and they started to test Paul's credibility with everybody else uh, to the point to where the church really started to turn its back on Paul, and they started to be led into some strange teachings and into some false teachings. Well, Timothy, who was one of Paul's companions, witnessed this when he visited the church. It was so heartbreaking that Paul actually, he goes to the church, he, he witnesses this for himself, and he, he's so hurt, he ends up leaving the church, he, he writes them a letter of rebuke, you know, saying, you guys, need to, you guys have sinned, you guys need to ask forgiveness for your sins, seek forgiveness of your sins, you guys need to turn back to the correct path and to the correct way. Well, actually, as a result of that letter, they do that. And Titus, who's also a companion of Paul, goes to the church and witnesses this. That they're starting, again, to do what is right. They're following the Lord. Uh, They appreciate the work of Paul and what he has done. And so what we kind of have here in 2 Corinthians is a a letter written after all of that. After things are starting to get a little better. And so uh, Paul has been writing, again, trying to say, I am an apostle. I, I do love you. I am serving the Lord. I want what's best for you. All these things. But as we get to 2 Corinthians chapter eight, and where we're at now, he's talking here and encouraging this church to fulfill a promise that they had made way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which was to give an offering and a gift to the hurting church in Jerusalem. And they had went back on that. They had fallen aside to that. And it's interesting though how he talks about this because the way he, he starts the conversation on giving is he starts by talking about the grace of God in this giving. Right, he's, he look right, I want to, verse one, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. What he's talking about here is he's talking about an offering that the churches are taking up for the Jerusalem church. And he's using the word grace in here. So that's important for us to, to focus on and to know what's happening here. Paul's saying because of the great grace that God has blessed these churches with in their salvation. He's blessed them with this. The response in the people's heart and in their lives has been to give to a church that is hurting and that is, who who needs it really badly and they are giving it not out of their wealth, they're actually giving it out of their great poverty, it says here. That they've been stricken in poverty but yet still they are, giving because of the great grace that has been poured out on them in their life. They see a need, and they want to meet the need. There are are churches here in Macedonia who are living out what the book of James talks about, where it says, prove your faith, right? Let your works prove out your faith of what is real and, and true in your heart and in your life. So knowing what Christ has done for them, all of a sudden became their motivation. And again, that has to be the same for us still today. Really in everything we do, but also in our giving. As we give, Christ should be the motivation behind what it is we are giving. And Paul is actually saying that as we give, the grace of God actually continues to grow us. That giving is a part of that and helpful in that. God's pouring his grace out in our life as we continue to give. And so as we give correctly, it actually helps us grow. And it also then allows us to bless other people. And we'll talk more about this as we get towards the end. And so what Paul's getting at so far in these first seven verses is he's showing us how, as Christians, because what Christ has done in our life, we should be people who are very generous people. We should be generous people. And so continue with me. Look at verse 8, and I want to read through verse 15 of chapter 8. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, That there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever, whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, when Paul's talking about your giving shows your genuineness, verse nine really is very important for us to understand what he's talking about there, because in verse nine he he says a verse that you might see plastered on people's walls at their homes. I don't think they realize that it's taking out of a passage that's talking about giving money. (laughs) <laughs> they probably wouldn't put it on their walls then, would they? But it's a, a very important truth and something that we hold on to because he says, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. Now we know what Paul talking, is talking about here. He's not talking about money. Christ, Christ comes and wraps himself in flesh, giving up all that we would think is we're looking forward to in heaven, right? All the riches, all the glory, all, the, all that we read in Psalm. That, that's Christ saying that oh, the, the cattle on the hills are mine. All the birds are mine. If I was hungry, would I come to you? No, I don't have need of anything from you. But yet Christ would give all that up. Why? To, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to be buried in a grave, but to resurrect. Why? So that you and I could become rich, not, not financially, but spiritually so that we could have life and that we could have it abundantly, so that we could have joy, so that we could have hope, so that we could have peace. And Paul's saying, look at the generosity of your Savior. Look at, look at what he has done for you. Think of it this way. What has Christ gained in getting you? He hasn't gained anything. We've gained everything. Everything. And Christ has done that for us. Look at how, how willing and generous our Savior is. And so Paul's encouraging this church and they're giving by pointing them to him, to Christ, saying, you do the same. And verse verse eight is challenging. It's very challenging for us today. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. It's not something you hear too often uh, preached, I think, you want to prove the genuineness of your love for Christ and for the church? Give. That's what Paul's saying. Give. You said you wanted to give. You said you had a desire to give. You, you saw a need. You said you want to meet the need. Do it. Show that it's genuine. Show that it's honest. Show that it's real. Show that it's true. As I'd mentioned earlier, God has control of all money. And the fact is, there's many non-Christians out there in the world today who give to Christian causes. But what can't be is there cannot be Christians who never give to any Christian causes. I don't see that being compatible with what Paul's talking about here. Now, there might be times in your life where you cannot give. It's understandable. It's very understandable. But to never give not understandable. Again, these churches are not rich that Paul is talking to. In fact, they are very poor. They're facing dire situations, many of them, but yet they are still giving because they see a need and they want to meet that need. Why? Because of what Christ has done in them and they genuinely love that other church. They want to see good things for them and so as Christians, we must trust what we say so often that God has control of our life from beginning and to end in all areas and all facets. And this includes our finances. You know, Zacchaeus was a good example of this. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus. He probably sang the song before. But in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about how he had an encounter with Christ, how Christ goes to his house, how there's a change in Zacchaeus' life. He's, he's saved by God's grace, and, and this wasn't a good guy. This was a tax collector who had stolen tons and tons of money from people because that's how he made his profit. But when he had an encounter with Christ, he was saved by God's grace. All of a sudden, we see a change in Zacchaeus' life where at one time it was all about money. Now all of a sudden he's saying, I'm, I'll gladly give fourfold to anybody I've stolen from. Come, here, I'll give it out. What I've just gained in him is so much more valuable than this money. And so we see a genuineness in Zacchaeus' life where there was a a change, big time. And so as we get to verses 16 through uh, 24, the rest of chapter 8, I'm not going to read that because what Paul does here is he starts to lay out how this offering needs to take place. And he describes for us how there's three trusted men, not only by Paul, but the church as well that the church would trust these men, that they're gonna take up this collection, and that they're gonna take the difficult journey and even the dangerous journey to Jerusalem to make sure that that church gets it. And so as we get to chapter nine, these instructions still continue. So follow along with me in verses one through five of chapter nine. It says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about uh, you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that, may be, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. One of the things we see happening here with Paul is he's telling this church to be ready to give the gift. And actually he's saying, start doing it now. You see, Paul has been going around to the other churches in Macedonia, and he's been telling them about this church in Corinth, saying they're ready to do it. They're willing to do it. And he said it's actually kind of pumped the other churches up. That the other churches are like, well, if they're doing it, we should do it too. Let's go. Let's do it. And so they've taken up collections, and he's saying, how embarrassing would it be if we get there, and you guys are saying, nah, changed our mind. That's something we wanted to do before, but we don't want to do it now. And so he's, he's urging them to be ready. He's urging them to make sure they do what they actually said they would do. And that is the truth. And maybe you've seen this in your life too. There's many people who seem to be willing to help, is there not? But when the shoe drops, uh, no, I got something else to do, right? And so willingness doesn't mean anything. Willingness means zero until you put it into action. And that's really what Paul is warning this church of. Don't just be willing, actually do it. Don't just be all talk, be somebody of action right? Go out and do this. And so I think one of the things that we see here and a principle that we could probably, that we could pull from this is, is understanding how Paul is planning ahead and he's, he's, he's getting things ready ahead of time. And it kind of shows me there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with preparation within the church, especially when it comes to money, because we see Paul doing this here. The fact is money is needed for ministry. Not all the time. There's some ministry that can happen without money. But most ministry needs money. You need gas money to drive to somebody's house. You need gas money to drive to the hospital to visit somebody. You need money to buy food to make them something for dinner. I mean, we can go on and on and on. There's, there's money that is necessary and needed, and so you should plan accordingly. As a church, you guys, maybe you weren't here back then, but you're part of this church now, chose to build this building, he chose it, we don't have to have this building, we could, we could sell this building, we could sell all of our property, and we could become squatters, a church of squatters, and find park, we could go to Veterans Park every week until the city tells us we can't anymore, we could meet there, right, that would save us a lot of money, but no, we, we've chose to build a building, and we have a purpose behind that with ministry in mind, this building costs money, thankfully by god's grace we've paid the building off but now we have it falling apart you got to fix it you got to keep lights on you got to clean it got to restore it this stuff costs money i don't know if you're aware of this you should be we we highlight mission partners did you know that some of those mission partners that we talk about each week are 100% supported by us 100% If we don't give, their ministry doesn't happen. It can't happen. You see, we're kind of like that church. We have great amounts of blessings right now. Let's bless others. And so, but it needs money for that to take place. Each week, people come into our church or they call our church and they say, hey, I'm down on my luck. I need a place to stay. My car is this or whatever it might be. All that stuff takes money to help them for benevolence needs and for cares. so We have a staff. It takes money to have a staff so that they can be paid, so that they can take care of their families and meet their needs. And why do we do this? Again, we do this for the sake of ministry, to be able to spread the gospel in this community. And so with all of this in mind, we need to make sure that as church leaders and as a church when we vote on budgets and stuff, that we are being prepared financially for the known and for the unknown. This is one of the reasons why we take up an offering each week in our services. Now, pretty soon we'll be passing a plate again. Uh, We haven't done that since COVID and we'll start doing that again pretty soon, but there's some things I gotta get uh, in place first. But we always have our offering plates up here. We have offering plates in the back for you to be able to give. We have online giving for you to be able to do that uh, if you would like to do that. And we do this thinking Ahead, knowing that things cost money. And this is the most obvious time for us to do that together. But there's another reason for it. Giving is an act of worship. And we've come here to worship. We've come here to praise him. And so it's a blessing to be able to, to give to God here as we, as we pray to him in response, as we sing to him in response to his word. Another blessing, another thing that we are called to do is to give to him in response of his word. So we must be faithful to do that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, where they first were setting up this offering, Paul told them specifically, on the first day of the week when you gather, take up the gift, take up the gift. And so it's a biblical precedence that we still keep with today. And so let's move on to uh, verses six and seven. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I do want to say before I move on, please know this. This, this is one of the verses that have been so misconstrued and has led so many people astray today, more so than ever. This is a proverb, This is not a law, okay? So you cannot say, and do not listen to anybody who says this, if you plant this seed of money in this plate today, I promise you fourfold blessing tomorrow. No. This is a proverb. This is not a law. Just like the other proverbs we have, train a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart. That is a proverb. That is not a guarantee. Some of you parents know that very well. You've trained your children very well. You loved them, you prayed for them, you, you sought after them, you took them to church, but yet they have went astray in their old age. Does that mean God hasn't been faithful to you? No, that's a proverb, not a law. And it's the same here. But there is still truth in Proverbs, right? We have to hold to these. And so Paul here is telling us that we are to be people not who reap sparingly, but we sow bountifully. Alistair Begg, he's someone that I enjoy. You've heard me quote him often. He says it this way. He says, if we give grudgingly, then our approach is essentially, I have to. If we give dutifully, our approach is essentially, I need to. If we give thankfully, our approach is essentially, I want to. And what God is looking for are people who want to. Who want to give. I think there's a couple quick things to take from this section. Number one is this, only Christians can give cheerfully, according to what we're reading in Corinthians, because our cheer comes from what the Lord has done in our life. Non-Christians don't have that. They don't have that. They've, They've never understood the grace of God. They've never been forgiven. And so they cannot then give cheerfully. They can give because they want to, but they cannot give cheerfully according to scripture. Secondly, if you are a Christian and you are not giving cheerfully, the question would then be why? Why is this not happening? Remember, God does not need your money. And so when you put your money into the offering plate, you can't look up and say, I got you, big man. You can't do that. We can't do it that way. Now, you could do that to me. You could point at me and say, I got you, because I do rely on what you give. That's where my pay comes from, and the other pastors also. But we can't look at God and say that. Yes, the local church has needs, like I mentioned, and of course we need money for many of those needs. Yet I would stand here and argue this, and I might get in trouble. Do not give if you're not giving cheerfully. Don't do it because that's what God wants. And that's the money that God will bless, is a cheerful giver. Now you need to deal with that in your heart because you should be a cheerful giver as a Christian. But if you're just giving grudgingly, if you're just continuing to give saying, I have to do this, don't do it. Don't do it because you're not giving according to how God would want you to give. I'd also encourage you with this, and I think this is what we see here in this passage. When you do give, give what you can. Yes, give generously, it says here. If you can, then give generously, but give out of the grace that God has has given you, do that. And I think that is is very important, but I want you to notice this too, and I'm not even gonna mention any of this. I'm I'm not gonna talk about percentages. I'm not gonna talk about amounts. Because we don't see that in the New Testament. You know, people will put a, put a standard of 10% or whatever it might be. I think that gets washed away in the New Testament. I think what we see Paul saying here is give what you can. And from what you can give, give generously out of that. Uh, so for some of you to give generously might be 6%. For some of you, it might be 12%. For some of you, it might be $7. You're saying, I'm giving generously though today. This is, this is generous of what I can give. For others of you, it might be $7,000. And you're saying, "This this is generously what I can give this morning. See, again, it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude in the giving. That's what Paul's talking about here. To give cheerfully and to be reminded our giving is in response to what Christ has given us and gave to us. And I think that should be convicting for all of us in here this morning. Well, let's finish this, beginning in verse 8, and we'll read to verse 15, because there are benefits in giving, and Paul lays them out here. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See, God has been so good to us that yes, he commands giving, doesn't need our money or whatever, but there is blessing in giving. Yes, we are responding to him and we are giving, but there's actually something We are getting out of this, and there are some personal benefits. First two of them. God gives so you can abound in every good work, it says. That's why he gives. He gives so that you can abound in every good work. One of the commentaries that I'm reading, the writer is R. Kent Hughes, and he has a quote on this that I really liked. He said, The simple truth is God will give us what we need to give to others. We will always be rich enough to be generous. The challenge for us is not in our wealth or lack of it, but belief and obedience. The generous giving heart will live in this grace. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. There will always be enough to be generous. And that's what Paul's saying here. There's always enough for us to be generous. But then in verse 10, he says about an increase in righteousness. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase what? The harvest of your righteousness. Again, this is one of those sections where you'll hear, sadly, a lot of TV preachers saying, sow this seed and this blessing is going to come to you. But what is the blessing? The blessing is in righteousness, not in financial gain, not in wealth. We benefit in God and we benefit in giving by God's growing us more into the image of his son. As we become generous, we start to see more and more needs. As we become generous Christians, we start to see physical needs of people, but we also start to see spiritual needs of people. And God produces within us a heart to want to meet those needs, right? To to want to help in any way that we possibly can, whether it's financially, whether it's to pray with people, whether it's just to sit with people, to encourage people, whatever it might be. And God works inside of us as we give. Now the fact is some of you might be sitting here today and you just don't feel like giving and the reason is you've never done it. And so you've never had the chance to grow in it, ever. You've never seen the great blessing of being able to give and how God uses that not only in your life but in others' lives. And that's what gets to the last benefits. There's not just personal benefits, but Paul there at the end talks about benefits as a church. In verse 11 to 12, he says, you as a church will give thanksgiving to God, but as you give, the Jerusalem church is gonna give great thanksgiving to God. And so as a result of your giving, God is getting praise and worship and being glorified because of your giving. Isn't that a great thing to think about? I don't know how many times we've had the blessing to help people here. They all, they all say, you know, thank, thank, I, I thank God for you. Now, I don't know how real that is in their life, but here's just the fact. God got some praise in our giving because we helped them with gas. We helped them with groceries. We got them a place to stay for a little bit. Whatever it might be, God got some praise in us giving. And what better gift could we get than that? Than God receiving praise, right? And so in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, we, say this, we see this thanksgiving to God. In verse 13, we see God being glorified right? It says they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. And so the churches glorify God. Pastor Dave can talk about this. I get an email every week from Pastor Moses in uh, India. Thank you, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. And then he starts to listing people that he knows here, a bunch of names for your gifts, for clothes, for families, for Christmas, or for your gifts for this. Or Pastor Peter over in Kenya, thank you for your gifts. Every month that we fully support them, but we've had the privilege to give more because I don't know if you've seen this, Kenya's in a horrible drought. They have no food. And so Pastor Peter emailing us, I don't know what to do. We have no food. Most of my people are maybe eating a meal a day, maybe every other day. Is there anything you can do? You know what we do? We give him easily $500. And his response back, Praise be to God for how good you are to us. We thank God for the ministry that we have with you, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, a church I've never stepped foot in. But besides the fact that we're meeting physical needs that people now get to eat, praise is being lifted up to God. You have people within a church saying, God, you have met our need again. You've been faithful to us again. You are a good father to us. Can you think of a better thing to give to? Right? Can, you, can you think of a better thing to do as a Christian is to be able to be a part of that? And then verse 14, it says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. As these churches would give to each other and help each other out, the love and bond within those churches continued to grow. And so there was a great love amongst the saints for one another as they were caring for one another. Have you ever been blessed in this church, financially by somebody else? Have you ever received a meal? Have you ever received a card with something in it? Have you ever received anything like that? What does that do for you when that person does that for you? You look at them different, don't you? You think, oh, how much I love you. How thankful I am for you. Now again, our love for each other shouldn't be based on how much money we give each other. But it does help, doesn't it? To see that a fellow believer in the Lord has saw you and cared enough about you to take the time, to take the effort, to take their generosity, and to care for you in some small way or maybe it was some big way. And it helps in creating that bond. This is what set the church apart for a very long time. The generosity of each other, caring for each other. Sadly, I think oftentimes in today's churches that has Faded. Now, I'm not saying this is a scriptural thing. This is something that Amanda and I have really tried to do uh, our whole marriage, and it's something that I've thought about a lot. There's tons of places to give today. There's tons of good causes out there. Tons of them. Go fund me, which is good or bad. I don't know how you look at it. There's millions of them on Facebook for you to give money to. And it's very easy to do all of that one of the things I've kind of settled in my mind is for me, the main place that I'm giving my money is to the church. Again, this is not a scriptural thing. I'm not, I'm not telling you, you have to do this. If you want to give to other things, then, then do it. But for me, God has saved me. God has drawn me into his family. He's adopted me into this family. And he, he places me within a local body of believers who have leadership over me and care for me, and I'm supposed to trust them, and I should be giving to them. And I can think of no better place, again, this is me personally, I can think of no better place to trust my money with than with my church family. Because if they're a good church family, they're giving for good gospel causes, which is so much better than all the other causes. Think about it. This morning, when I ask you to give to your church, I am telling you to do it cheerfully. Do not do it any other way. I am not showing you of dogs with injuries all over them and making you feel bad and saying, you should give because of this. I'm not plastering pictures of kids who you can tell are starving and saying, hey, you should give because we'll help kids, right? I haven't shown you some video of Monroe and things in Monroe that are bad and say, you know what, now give so that we can help this in Monroe. No, because I don't want you to give because you feel bad. I don't want you to to give because you like me. I want you to give because number one, God has called you to give and because God has called you to be a cheerful giver. Same reason I want you to sing when we sing. This is how we respond to God. We sing praises to him. That's why I ask you to pray. This is how you respond to God. God says to pray and to speak to him. This is why I ask you to give. God has done amazing things in our life, and He says to give. And the question that you would have to ask yourself is are you giving, one, cheerfully, and are you giving, number two, generously? I've purposely withheld sharing statistics, but the statistics of church giving is bleak. Worse than the Great Depression, worse by far. But we're not nearly as bad off as they were back then. Are you giving generously and are you giving cheerfully? And if not, I would ask you to then investigate what's the root cause of that? Are you willing to go before the Lord and really search it out? To ask God to delve into your heart and into your life, to root out sin that might be there, to root out out some anger or whatever it might be. To trust in the Lord enough to give how he's asked us to give. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're gonna sing a song to close like we do each week, but I also wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God uh, this morning. I hope and trust that I've been as faithful as I can be to this passage of the grace and, and giving. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I hope you can reflect on how good God has been to you. Spiritually, by saving you by His grace, if, if you are one who's been saved and trusted in the Lord, number two, also just material-wise, or the blessings of family like we talked about and all these different things. And ask yourself, are you being a good steward of those blessings? Are you being faithful to the Lord and you're giving? God this morning, I know this is an uncomfortable message for most of us. I hope people understand how uncomfortable it can be for me, being the one who has to talk about it. But God, we do want to worship you well, and part of worship that you've given us, along with with reading the word, Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer, singing, preaching, as we see in the New Testament church giving, as part of that worship. And so God, I pray that as a church family, we would be cheerful givers. God, I don't want to have to rely on financial campaigns and catchy ads to try to get our church family to be able to give so that we can take care of the things you've given us or so that we can help more missionaries or, or whatever it might be, whatever those things you call us to. God, I just wanna be a church family full of cheerful givers who are generous, who love to meet needs. And God, I'm so thankful that I see that so often within our church. So often I see families reaching out to other families, caring for one another sending gift cards to each other, making meals for each other, taking people out to dinner, watching people's children. All kinds of things, God, that is very generous. and God, I thank you for that. And I pray that it would continue. God, as we want to increase in all of our areas of our life and faith, I pray that it'd be the same with this of giving. but God, I pray that as a church, we would honor you with how we use our finances, how we use our, our money. And so God, I pray that you would help us to see if there's any area uh, that we're not doing well, that we would uh, cut that out. Because we want to be honorable to you and also to man, as your word tells us here. So help us with that, God. Help us to be wise. But God, help us not to trust and put our hope in money, but that our hope would be cemented in you. In the work of your son in Jesus, who came to die for the sins of man. And God, for those of us here this morning who've been saved by your grace, we understand and we realize that it's because of you. Not because of us, not because of how good we are, not because of how special we are, but simply because of your love in our life. And so God, I pray that we would be kind people, that we'd be patient and long-suffering, that we would be generous and loving And I pray that people around us would notice that, that they would see that you have changed our lives, that we live differently than the rest of the world with a hope, with a joy, and with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And God, I pray that you would use those to cause people to question what is happening there, that they would hear the gospel, that they would understand it, and that they would fall on their face before you, their God, their Savior, and their King. God, this morning as we sing this last song, help us to worship you with it. Help us to respond to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together.